Good morning. Glad you're here. Would you please pray with me? Oh, gracious Father, we come before you with gratitude, thankful that you've sent your Son to save us from our sins. Father, we thank you that because of the work of Jesus, we are justified from all things by which we could be justified no other way. And, oh, Lord, we believe. Help thou our unbelief. Forgive us of our sin. Help us to fight it. Father, help us to love you more. We love your Son. We praise Him. We exalt the name of Jesus. We pray that this day He might be greatly honored by your people. And we ask you these things in His name, in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, as we often say, nothing new. Nothing new this morning. Just some old truth. Actually, a reminder. A reminder of a divine declaration. A a reminder. Listen, when Bill or Eric or I remind you of the truth, it's a good word. It's God's work. Jesus promised His disciples that He would send His Holy Spirit to remind them of His teaching. John 14, 26. Writing to the Christians at Rome, Paul stated that one of his primary purposes in writing his letter to the Romans was to remind them of what he had already taught them. Romans 15, 15. Paul sent Timothy to Corinth to remind the saints there of the Christian way of living. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. And in that same letter, Paul reminds them of the gospel that he had preached to them. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Paul reminds Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that's within him. 2 Timothy 1, 6. And concerning his preaching, Paul instructs young Timothy, keep reminding them. 2 Timothy 2.14 What to preach, Paul? What to preach? Remind them. Remind them. When Paul instructs Titus about his preaching, he exhorts him. Remind the people. What? What? Remind them. Titus 3.1 The Apostle Peter even states that the entire purpose of his second epistle is to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. 2 Peter 3.1 I, and, and you probably experienced this as well, I've had moments of great intellectual pleasure when I first understood a concept. Eureka! When I first grasped an idea or encountered some truth that I had never seen before, but often, 
Most often, the job of the preacher, and certainly the job of the pastor, is just to remind. Just to remind you. So Paul tells Titus and Timothy, remind them. Put them in mind. Tell them again. And Peter says, stir up their minds to remember. So brothers and sisters, listen. Let me stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance this morning. And and let me ask you a question. Listen. What is our assurance that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of the living God? Now that's an important question. That's an important question because the apostolic teaching of salvation by grace through faith is entwined with that. Remember the apostolic teaching as articulated by Paul and Silas? Do you remember? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what? And thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16.31 And the apostolic confession of faith as articulated by Simon Peter is Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. Matthew 16.16 And do you remember the response of the Savior? Do you remember what the Master said to Peter? Blessed art thou Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 16, 17. It's a very important question, friend. What is our assurance that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of the living God? We're Christians. So we read the Gospels and we read our Bibles and we become convinced that the whole book is about our Savior. But what is our assurance that this man, this human, Jesus of Nazareth, is truly the Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity? Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. St. Paul the Apostle's epistle to the church at Rome, chapter 1. And we'll read Paul's introduction to his letter, which is there in verses 1 through 7. And please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. The great Apostle writes, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an Apostle, separated unto the Gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, 
by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. And you may be seated. Well, beloved, did you hear that? Did you hear that? According to the Pauline teaching, our assurance that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of the living God is rooted in a divine declaration. Our assurance is rooted there in a divine declaration. In verse 1, Paul speaks of the gospel of God, the evangelion, the good news. And what is the good news of God here? What is it? Well, Verse 2 is a parenthetical remark. But in verses 3 and 4, Paul tells us what this gospel of God concerns. And the whole thing is about Jesus. All of it. It's all about Jesus. It regards His Son, who as to His human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the New International Version translation. But do you understand what Paul is teaching? He's teaching that Jesus is the Son of David. His ancestry goes back to ancient Israel's greatest king, And the Holy Spirit of God has issued a divine declaration about this man, Jesus. And the divine declaration of Almighty God is, He is my Son, and all power is His. Now, at the end of His Gospel, St. Matthew records these words of Jesus, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Matthew 28, 18. And the resurrection of Jesus out of death is evidence that God Almighty has delivered that power to His Son. Look back to Romans 1, 4. Look back there. Look back there and see that divine declaration. And you'll remember, listen, this is not the first declaration of the divine sonship of the man, Jesus of Nazareth. It's not the first declaration. From the Gospel according to St. Matthew, I read, listen, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. 
And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew three, thirteen through 17. So Paul's declaration, Paul's teaching is not the first declaration of the divine sonship of the man, Jesus of Nazareth. And listen, neither is it the second. For from chapter 17 of Matthew's gospel, I read, After six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make for thee, make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he yet spake. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, save Jesus only. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. Listen, Peter, Peter recognizes the profound significance of these divine words, where God audibly speaks his voice breaking out of the heavenly realm and into the earthly realm. And Peter writes, We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For we, He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were there with Him in the holy mount. 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 18. The saints, listen. Paul's teaching, Paul's teaching is that the divine declaration that he mentions here in Romans 1, verse 4, Paul's teaching is that that declaration is even more profound than either of these others. Now, understand, those were profound, right? Years later, many years later, Peter writes forcefully, We heard a voice speak to us out of heaven. I remember it. I heard it. Like the beloved John telling those Gnostics, He was there. I touched him. Don't tell me he was a ghost. Kind of like John, Peter saying, I was there. I heard it myself. I'm an eyewitness. Hey, I'm an ear witness. I heard it. Now, 
as overwhelming as those testimonies were, testimonies from heaven, Paul teaches there's a greater testimony. There's a greater declaration of the divine sonship of Jesus. And look at it, look there again to Romans 1 verse 4. Paul teaches the holy testimony, the divine declaration that Jesus is the Son of God, is His resurrection from the dead. Friend, it's a divine declaration. This is my Son. Now I know that you know that there's more than one way to say something. You can say something with your tongue and your breath and your lips. Or you can say something with your actions. You can say something by what you do. Can't you? You, You've probably all heard the sermon poem by Edgar Guest, haven't you? The British poet? Well, if not, listen. Listen. He wrote, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye's a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example's always clear. The best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you in the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. When I see a deed of kindness, I'm eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stays behind, just to see if he can help him, then the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And all travelers can witness that the best of guides today is not the one who tells them, but the one who shows the way. One good man teaches many. Men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness noticed is worth 40 that are told. Who stands with men of honor learns to hold his honor dear. For right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I've actually heard preachers disparage that poem. But I won't. Because it's a very, listen, it's a very, very true statement that actions speak louder than words. Do you remember this teaching of Jesus? What think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. 
He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of the two did the will of his father? And they say unto him, the first. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. And they were right. The one who went. Beloved, listen. Actions speak louder than words. Jesus, our master, taught this. And listen, Paul is acknowledging this in Romans 1, 4. Paul is acknowledging this. God has spoken. He's spoken out of the heavenly realm into the earthly realm multiple times so that the ears of men may hear. And he said of this man, Jesus, he is my son. Son of God. But now Paul notes, not only word, not just divine speech, God will communicate this gospel of God another way, with concrete action. Action so bold, so deliberate, so overwhelming, that anyone not blinded can see it. What you going to do, God? What you going to do? How are you going to communicate even more clearly and forcefully than a man hearing the audible voice of God from the heavens? How? Resurrection. Death reversed. That's how. I'm going to do what they say can't be done. I'm going to raise this man to life out of death. And beloved, listen and understand. Bill just preached to us recently about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus into Paul, the apostle, you know, our apostle. And the appearance of the risen Jesus to Paul on the road to Damascus, that revolutionized his life. Listen, Paul was never the same after that. That encounter turned him from a persecutor into a disciple and united him with the other apostles as one ordained to be a witness with them. A witness of what? A witness of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, to all of them, the fact of the resurrection of Jesus, first of all, it was a historical fact that had to be understood by what it testified about Jesus. And listen, what does the resurrection of Jesus say about him? Let me give you three words. Bill, I'll try to stick these in the sermon as often as I can. Jesus is God. I am, he said. The resurrection of Jesus said to them, This man is God. 
It said that this man that they had walked with, talked with, eaten with, this man that they loved, this man was God. Even death couldn't hold him. We saw him. He was dead as a doornail. He's not dead anymore. That can't happen. It did happen. And as time and revelation progressed, the holy apostles discerned that so transcendent a fact as the resurrection of the dead bore in itself a revelation of what would become the experience of all of Jesus' followers beyond the grave. Mike, my hope for Miss Jan's not clouds and harps, and my hope is resurrection life. You can read the Pauline Gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. But remember, the clear teaching of the great Apostle Paul is that all that distinguishes Christianity, all that makes it worth believing and living for and dying for, is inseparably connected with the resurrection of Jesus and His promise to raise His followers after Him. Now listen, I think you know this, but the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus are inseparably connected. Jesus doesn't rise from the dead to return to the weakness and weariness of humanity. He's past that. He's beyond it. In His risen state, there is nothing in Him that death can grasp. There's not a finger hold in Him that death can get in. The glorified body of Jesus is death-proof. He's death-proof. In Romans 6, Paul teaches, Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. Death couldn't get, get Him even if He wants to to personify death. Peter and the holy apostles understand the ascension of Jesus, listen, as emblematic of His enthronement. When Jesus went out to Bethany and ascended into the heavenly realm, right there before His disciples, they saw it. They came to understand that His ascension was fulfillment of a divine prophecy. I saw in the night visions and beheld one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought Him near before Him. Daniel seven thirteen. Peter preached about this at Pentecost. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know. 
Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now, men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. He's dead. He's buried. And his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, ascended, exalted, And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this that you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, Jehovah said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel assuredly know that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Acts 2, 22 through 36. Listen, can, can you see that the resurrection of Jesus is Almighty God's solemn Amen to the tremendous claims that Jesus made. These claims, read read the fourth gospel, these claims like, I came down from heaven. I'm just telling you what my father told me to say. I'm the bread come down from heaven. I got some water and if I give it to you, you'll never thirst. If you follow me and you die, you'll live again. What? Now listen, listen friend. When Almighty God raised Jesus of Nazareth out of death, it's a divine declaration that everything Jesus taught is true. It's a divine declaration that Jesus' Word is God's Word. It's a divine confirmation that the Son can speak for the Father. Think with me, listen, listen, think with me for a minute. If the cross of Calvary and Joseph's tomb 
had been the end of Jesus? Well, that would have been a reductio ad absurdum. That end, if Jesus had ended on the cross of Calvary in Joseph's tomb, that end, that would have shown all the claims of Jesus to be absurd, to be ridiculous, to be ludicrous. Oh yeah, yeah, you from heaven, all right. <laughs> you dead. You understand that? But that's not what happened. He arose, he arose, hallelujah. Christ arose. That's not what happened, friend. The teaching of the great apostle in Romans 1.4 is that the resurrection is God's last, greatest, and loudest proclamation. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Beloved, listen. Either Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead or his claims are a series of blasphemies and arrogances and his character is irredeemably stained. Now there's a man that can say that a lot better than I can. And here, Clive Staples Lewis from his Mere Christianity. He wrote, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Well, beloved, listen. Paul... Paul was never the same after that Damascus Road encounter. He saw Jesus alive. And for Paul, that confirmed who he was. And as we saw in Acts, straight away he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Acts 9, verse 20. Paul was convinced by what? By the resurrection, by Jesus being alive, by seeing Jesus of Nazareth, who was dead. But he's not dead. He's alive. He was so convinced, he didn't dally. You know, he was already a preacher, 
So straight away, King James, immediately, New International Version, he began to preach of Jesus. This man is the Son of God. Wow. How you know, Paul? I saw him. He's alive. What do you mean he's alive? I thought they killed him. They did. God, the God of my fathers, raised him from the dead and said, this is my son. That's the good news of God that I'm telling you. Beloved, listen, Jesus is alive. Jesus was dead. That convinced Paul. To Paul, it was a word from God, a declaration of the divinity of Jesus. You see, for only God cannot die. He only hath immortality. God, 1 Timothy 6.16. So if Jesus has immortality, what does that say about him? For Jesus to be alive means Almighty God has raised him from the dead, affirming everything Jesus did and taught. You see, the whole phenomenon is supernatural. You understand? There is no natural explanation. Naturally, it's not understandable. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Listen, Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Except I see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, the disciples were within, and Thomas with them, and then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they which have not seen and yet have believed. John 20, verses 24 through 29. So, Just a reminder this morning. Just a reminder about a divine declaration. Jesus Christ our Lord was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. And must this body die, this mortal frame decay? And must these active limbs of mine lie moldering in the clay? Corruption, earth, and worms 
shall but refine this flesh till my triumphant spirit comes to put it on afresh. God, my Redeemer lives and often from the skies looks down and watches all my dust till He shall bid it rise. Arrayed in glorious grace shall these vile bodies shine and every shape and every face look heavenly and divine. These lively hopes we owe to Jesus' dying love. We would adore His grace below and sing His power above. Dear Lord, accept the praise of these our humble songs till tombs, tunes of nobler sound we raise with our immortal tongues. Please stand with me for prayer. And let me ask you a question. What is our assurance that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of the living God? Resurrection. Amen. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, Thy will is supreme in heaven and earth. And all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits. Thy inspiration gives us understanding. Thy providence governs our lives. But, O God, we are sinners in thy sight. Thou hast judged us so. And if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ, thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear Him, the eye of faith to see Him, the hand of faith to receive Him, the appetite of faith to feed upon Him, that we might find in Jesus light and riches, honor and life. Thou art the inviting one. May we hearken to Thee. Thou art the almighty instructor. Teach us to live to Thee. Thou art the light dweller inaccessible to man and angels, hiding thyself behind the elements of creation, but known to us in Jesus. O possess our minds with the grandeur of thy perfections. Thy love to us in Jesus is firm and changeless. Nothing can separate us from such love. And in the enjoyment of it, nothing can make us miserable. Preserve us from hypocrisy and formality in religion and enable us to remember what Thou art and what we are, to recall Thy holiness and our unworthiness. Help us to approach Thee clothed with humility for vanity, forwardness, insensibility, disorderly affection, backwardness to duty, proneness to evil are in our hearts. But let us never forget thy patience, thy wisdom, power, faithfulness, care, thy love. And help us never to cease to respond to thy invitations. In Jesus' name, amen.